We've got some big news to tell you about from our partners at Conservative Review. Coming this December, it's CRTV, a brand new commercial-free digital network featuring Mark Levin, Michelle Malkin, and Mark Stein. You get all of this content anywhere you go, your laptop, tablet, cell phone, or even on Roku or Apple TV. And you can have all of this programming for a year for only $89 if you sign up before December 1st at CRTV.com. But to get that special price, you've got to use my name at the checkout, Dace. That's D-E-A-C-E. So go to CRTV.com and sign up today. Levin, Malkin, Stein, all for $89 a year. If you go to CRTV.com today and use the promo code DACE. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will ring in America. This is Steve Dace. And good evening. Happy Monday to you. Thanks for tuning in tonight here on the Steve Dace Show. Powered by Conservative Review here on the Salem Radio Network. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Three different ways you can do that. Email us, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Coming up here in about 15 minutes, since it is a Monday, we'll get you caught up on some of the weekend news and views, some of the headlines from over the weekend, and we will have some reactions to them. But after... After much delay, tonight is finally the big night. We get to make a big announcement about what we are going to do next. It's been fascinating watching your various guesses throughout the course of the day on our Facebook wall and via Twitter. Uh, I would say the overwhelming majority of you, and we're simulcasting this, by the way, right now on Facebook Live. So uh, for those of, and we're doing this because not everybody gets our gets our show live. Maybe they have an affiliate that runs it later in the day. Uh, some people uh, don't have an affiliate around the country yet, so they listen to us uh, via podcast. So obviously the podcast isn't up yet because we haven't done the show yet, right? So we are doing this live on Facebook as we speak. We're, simultane- we're simulcasting this announcement simultaneously with the show. And we've been teasing this for quite a while. A lot of you, the overwhelming majority of you, when you guys went through all the comments right before we went on the air, right, as we asked people to guess what it was, is it suffice to say, gentlemen, like 90% of people think this is about our show moving to CRTV or The Blaze? Yep. Absolutely. You yep. might be. Even you, even more than that's that, probably. might be low-barring. You think 90% is low-barring? Oh, low yeah. bar is, a, is a low bar. Well, listen, those would be phenomenal opportunities, not that we don't enjoy the gig that we have now. Uh, but that is not... That is not the announcement that we are about to make. In fact, no one has been even close, even close. And you know what? I don't blame you. Because what I'm about to tell you, I couldn't do if I tried. Right? And and I'm a guy because of where I live. I have men who want to be president of the United States call me out of the blue. This I couldn't do if I tried. About six weeks ago, my wife was on a retreat for church, and I was on daddy duty. And I'm watching some football because it's what I do. And I get an email. 
And I read this email and I thought, this can't be true. I, I, I know it's not true. There's no way, there is no way this is true. And so I set it aside for like an hour thinking somebody was trolling me. You know, this, this was my never Trump comeuppance. Okay. And I, I knew this was a troll. So I just set it aside for about an hour. Game got a little boring. I'm about to fire up the Madden 2017 on the PS4. And then I thought, let me just see if it's legit. And it was. And that's how we ended up here with the announcement we're about to make here tonight. Our book, A Nefarious Plot, is going to be developed as a major motion picture by the studio that did God's Not Dead. And they are planning on releasing this in 2018. Needless to say, this is incredible. Uh, You're talking about um, a studio that has produced, when you look at the profit margin for God's Not Dead, it's one of the most profitable movies of all time. They cracked the code. They figured out, hey, how do we make films with a faith-based message that are good movies without compromising the message? They figured it out and made millions and millions and millions of dollars getting our message out. Well, they've been looking for the right kind of project to tell, I guess we would say, the other side of the story. And one day, their assistant barged in and started reading them excerpts of a book called A Nefarious Plot. And one of the producers looked at the other and said, wait a minute, that sounds demonic. That, that just sounds wrong. It's evil. That is exactly what we are looking for. Literally a chance to scare the hell, literally, out of the culture. And from that moment, clear out of the blue, they sought me out. And we are now working to develop a nefarious plot into a major motion picture for 2018. So as much as it would be an honor, not that I'm not honored to have the gig we already have, but as much as it would be an honor to be asked to join the team at CRTV and The Blaze, the odds of either one of those things happening, which so many of you guessed, are not nearly as astronomical as the odds of writing a book that will be developed into a major motion picture, particularly a book that has the uncompromising message, because it's the only way we know how to roll around here, that has the uncompromising message of a nefarious plot. And what I'm really excited about is Carrie and Chuck, who are the, the, the partners who run Believe Entertainment, which puts out, which put out the God's Not Dead movies and several other movies, faith-based movies that you've seen over the last few years. They want, they want to do this the right way. They don't want to water it down. They don't want to sanitize it. They want to make this the American cultural version of a, of a scared straight Video, You know, where they take those unruly kids to prison so they get an idea of what their future looks like if they don't shape up. They want to do the shape of things to come. That is the goal of this project. And we always talk on this show about the, about the fact that politics flows downstream from what, men? Culture. Culture. Sure. That if you want to dam a river, where do you dam it? You dam the river at the source. You don't go downstream. You go to the source. 
the number one source of influence in our culture is not the pulpit anymore. I wish it were. It's not the classroom anymore. I wish it were. Well, I wish it was the classrooms we used to have, but it's not. It's not the dinner table anymore. I wish it were. The number one influence center in our culture is pop culture. Where Katy Perry has more Twitter followers and Justin Bieber as well than the president of these United States. So a chance to take our message into the mainstream of pop culture. You know, when we first set out to do this, I said from the beginning, my number one goal is I wanted to do whatever I could do with the talent God gave me and the platforms he provides to play some part in making a biblical worldview mainstream in America again. Well, lo and behold, men, here we are with a chance to make a major motion picture. Your thoughts on tonight's big news. Well, my reaction to your telling me this the first time was somewhat a microcosm of your reaction to that email. There was a stunned silence. But then I remembered some of our earlier conversations uh, when I first uh, read the book and then read it again uh, multiple times. And I just my mind's eye ever since uh, I found out this is going to be happening is thinking of some of the scenes, how they're going to play out, because I know how I was shifting in my seat while reading them in a way (laughs) that was incredibly uncomfortable. And that's where this needs to go. It, it, It needs to it needs to come close to driving people mad. Like they don't want, they want to, if it's a successful movie at points, they're going to want to walk out of the theater. Aaron. Um, This is just insane. It really is. It's, it's amazing news. And if you're familiar with the book, if you've read the book, uh, listening to us tonight, um, it's like taking gut punch after gut punch after gut punch. I mean, you know, you know, the problems our culture faces, you know, the problems our country faces, but the way the book lays it out is just one after the other. And it really, I think it will eventually translate extremely well, extraordinarily well to the silver screen. And that is, I mean, that is going to be, as you mentioned, Steve, that is one of the biggest areas of pop culture where message can be disseminated, where a message can get out there. And um, this is uh, th- this is very exciting. It's um, it's it's going to be interesting, and uh, as I said, exciting to see how it develops. You go back to when you and I were were little kids, Todd, and The Exorcist, which is still the highest grossing horror film of all time, and how it swelled the ranks of attendance at Catholic churches all over the country. It did because it literally scared the hell out of people, and and I would love to see at least some microcosm or iota of a similar impact where people are confronted where we as a culture are confronted with the full consequences of the choices we have made and people then and we come to our senses and realize this is going to require a power higher than ours to rectify which is the goal of the book i hope their model is uh, in many respects the passion of the christ the visceral nature of that experience just sitting there buckled in for two Two hours, just an assault on every part of the human animal. Well, that's tonight's big news. We are looking forward to your comments right there on Facebook and on Twitter as we continue with more of the show here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Time to fight is now. 
always, The Steve Day Show. It's the most wonderful time. Indeed it is. Do you know how many daddy cool points I have had at our house for the last few weeks? <laughs> how are you feeling after that, though, about going I, public? I, I'm, I'm really excited. This is, I got to tell you, though, this is kind of surreal to me. I mean, I'm, I am, I'm, even though I've lived all over the country, I'm a kid from Iowa. You know, I'm still a kid born to a 15-year-old mom at Iowa Lutheran Hospital 43 years ago, you know, and... Um, I mean, the odds of this are one in 10 million, but um, I, I'm just excited about the whole process. You guys know how big of a movie buff I am, and um, I'm, I'm, we've already had some initial conversations about how to translate this to this, the silver screen. I'm not saying a word. I'm not, no spoilers, no hints, nothing, but some of the ideas that we have already bandied about, I think, have the potential to make a movie that's even better than the book is. So, and uh, I, I'm 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 psyched. So, I'm gonna. I don't know how focused I'm gonna be now that it's out. I have had to show a supernatural level of restraint uh, over the last couple of weeks while the deal got done and all the eyes were dotted and t's crossed and everything else. Because you guys know I've been bursting at the seams to share this with people, you know. But um, I just. It's, it's awesome, man. I don't know what to say. It's yep. just. I mean, this we we are going to have a Friday show sometime in the in the future where Mike Woody, our movie reviewer, comes in and we review a nefarious plot. No, we're not, because I will be afraid <laughs> he will hate it, and I won't be able to handle that. My feelings will be hurt. So it'll be a Friday when I am not here. Okay. But um, I I am um, just the way that it went down to just an. This is how you know it's just a total God thing. I mean, an email out of the blue. In fact, these guys did not know me, so they had to eat. They, they they Googled me and found me through Conservative Review. And so that's one of the reasons why I didn't buy it initially, is the initial email I received was a contact form from Conservative Review. Like any like any listener can email us if they don't know Steve at SteveDace.com, so they go to Conservative Review, look us up, and they can give us some. So it came through the feedback form at CR. That was the initial uh, email. You know, I'm like, come on, this is some kind of never Trump troll and I probably and I got it coming. I, I, I and I and I, I kind of laughed because I thought, you know what? If this is going to be my never Trump comeuppance, I'm going to get off a lot easier than some of these other people are. I will take my forty lashes. Ha ha ha! You got me. Move on. Not knowing that this was all legit, and and so this is where you just know. You know, I've often said that God's will is not easy, but it is simple. It is simple to know God's will. And he wrote it all down for us, right? And I found in my life when I am doing what God has called me to do, things just sort of happen. That the more I feel like I have to force the pieces, the more that tells me after a while that it's not that it's, it should be less complicated. God's will is simple. It's not easy. We live in a fallen world. We ourselves are fallen. It is not easy to do what God has called us to do. But it is simple. We all kind of know what God's law is, right? We know we shouldn't lie. We shouldn't steal. We shouldn't cheat. We know this. It's simple. Now, is it easy not doing those things? No. It is not easy not doing those things. But it is simple to know what those things are. And so the way that this just all has happened, without any pushing or prodding that I've had to do on any level, that's, that is where, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stands up 
And and these are the moments in your life, like I've told that story on the air before about that time I came back from that speaking engagement, and this is like the first real test of my of my new identity because I used to be really mean to Amy if we had money problems or she screwed up the checkbook and and she made a she made an error and we were short in the checking account and I and they had paid me to speak to this church this men's ministry at this church and I pulled out the money it was the exact amount of money that we that we were short of the bank and and that story is now 13 years old and it, and every time it makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up it's one of those moments that just sustains you when you start to feel like things aren't working that you're you know what I'm saying? This I, I, I think this is going to be one of those kinds of moments. Well, you, you only put God in a box at your own peril. And let that be a lesson going forward for every segment of this show, almost all of which we won't be talking about this movie. You know, stop with the yeah buts. I don't know what we're going to be talking about when we're done right here in this next segment or the rest of the show. But start starting right now, don't put God in a box. Follow through. We're going to be talking about politics. We're going to be talking about culture, movies, sports, and anyways. But at the end of the day, fear God, tell the truth, make money. Let God go. He must increase. You must decrease. Get out of the way and be prepared to be amazed in good times and in bad. I mean, when we got when we started this, you know, when I had a group of guys, come, when I had somebody come to me several years ago, five and a half years ago now, and say, hey, or six a year, six years ago now, it was after the 2010 election, say, hey. If we if we put a group of guys around you to go out and start off on your own, we've seen the influence you've you've had in Iowa. What if we wanted to see if we could influence an audience beyond Iowa with this kind of message? Would you be interested in it? And when we started planning this thing out and what it would look like, you think the idea of doing of writing a book that would be turned into a major we never had that conversation. Never in a million years did we contemplate that this was even possible. When I wrote this book, I wasn't thinking along those lines. And you know what's funny is I when I, I when I got done with the book and I recognized that there needed I needed to have some lead in because I I, I reread the screw tape letters and I found that's what C.S. Lewis did that he recognized he needed to have some transition from himself to to Uncle Screwtape right and and figured that guy sold a few books so if he figured if he if he if he thought that he needed a transition from his identity to screw tapes, I probably need the same thing from my identity to nefarious. So I wrote a preface that is loosely modeled off of Lewis's and screw tape letters. And one of the things I put in there is maybe someday when we do the movie version of this book, you'll get the backstory of how it actually came to be. Ha 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 ha. Having no idea where the idea to even put that in the book came from. Uh, or that this would ultimately come to fruition, it is, it's, it's really just amazing in the end to see how God connects the dots when you don't try. And that does not mean, man, we've had people try and, this, this, this ride that we've been on, you know, it, it took a long time to get to one of the major networks in the country here on the Salem Radio Network. We had people attempt to rip us off. We had companies go underwater. I mean, it, it's. Um, I mean, it's. This is not. This is not. This has been a broken road uh, to get to this point. And you guys know some of that history. But what's been? It's just when you stop and look back at how this has all been pieced together. And the reality is, more people know the name of their favorite horror movie than know the name of the vice president of the United States. That's just a fact. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it is what it is. 
a, a major motion picture if we do it right, and if God blesses it and we get the message out, has the potential to have far more impact than even a radio show on 500 radio stations could have. And we have seen that in our culture, have we not? So this is, it's an incredible moment. I, I'm, I'm just humbled uh, because I know I've had very little to do with it other than, the, other than using talent that I'm not responsible for that someone else gave me to produce this book. And after that, the same person who gave me that talent has done everything else from there. You're listening to Steve Dace. How about we try that whole life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness thing again? Hmm. This is Steve Dace. All right, should we do some work? Do you think we've given each other enough helmet stickers around here? Have we self-congratulated enough, do you think? All I heard was glory going to God, but there's a Jesus juke. I was just going to say, I just got Jesus (laughs) juked. Well done. All right, let's get to some weekend news and views. Uh, Aaron's got those headlines, beginning with today's big cabinet announcement, Aaron. That is uh, correct. Ben Carson, who took Donald Trump on a tour of blighted neighborhoods in Detroit during the presidential campaign, including his boyhood home, has been chosen by the president-elect to oversee one of the government's main efforts to lift American cities, as he's been appointed as secretary of the Department of Housing and Urban Development. Trump said in a statement Monday morning, Ben Carson has a brilliant mind and is passionate about strengthening communities and families within these communities. We have talked at length about my urban renewal agenda and our message of economic revival, very much including our inner cities. Ben shares my optimism about the future of our country and is part of ensuring that this is a presidency representing all Americans. With no experience in government or running a large bureaucracy, Mr. Carson, who's 65 years old, has publicly waffled over whether he'll join the administration He will oversee an agency with $47 billion in its budget, bringing to the job a philosophical opposition to government programs that encourage what he calls dependency in social engineering. I don't do this on purpose. I mean, I really don't, okay? Have we ever done any kind of show planning meeting? First of all, have we ever done any kind of show planning meeting? What's that? Exactly. So have we ever done one that we've never done? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> where I said, guys, how do we take the opposite take on this from everybody else? Have you ever done that? How do we be that contrarian yeah, I'm not. I don't want to be that person, but I will. I, I hate to say it, but I have a totally different read on this than most other people do. I actually think, well, first of all, he, he doesn't have the, the classic experience or qualifications for the job. But he didn't for the presidency either. It's also a a government bureaucracy that should not exist. So I'm not entirely sure that we want someone that does have the classic qualifications to run a department that we all agree shouldn't exist in the first place. But tell me, listen, I have I have my differences with how Ben Carson handled himself as a candidate, and I don't I don't take a word of it back. 
I mean, this whole fake candidacy was making scam packs and book signings great again. Okay? How old is he, though? 65. 65. Just as I don't take anything back about what, we, what proved to be true with, the, with whatever that was that he was doing this last year and a half as a pretend candidate, we also can't overlook what this man accomplished in the 63 years of his life prior to him becoming a fake political candidate. Can't overlook that either, can we? No, the lives he saved aren't any less. Saved. No, I mean the things, the glass ceilings he broke, the things he accomplished, the 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 background of 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 poverty and illiteracy that he overcame. Those things are all still there, right? Yep. Then tell me, tell me who Donald Trump could get that is a better ambassador to go in to impoverished areas of government housing where they are essentially centers for generations of dysfunction. I looked it up before the show tonight. 45% of those who are in government housing are black. 32% are white. Tell me. Tell me tell me whose life story, tell me whose resume, prior to this joke of a candidacy, which I, we ran out of adjectives to use to lambaste it and lampoon it, and, and, all, and even nastier ones that we could have conjured up would have all been justified. We all agree on that? Agreed, Take nothing yeah. back. But his life prior to this, Todd, you tell me, who could he have gotten that is a better ambassador symbol for the idea that you don't have to be sentenced to a generation of this like your father's? Well, many of them don't have fathers. That's why they're sentenced to a generation of this, like Ben didn't have one either. You don't have to be sentenced to repeat the, 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 the dysfunction of the previous generation. Tell me who is a more credible powerful symbol for that message to use this department as a platform to communicate it so that it actually has some use other than the pilfering of the taxpayer. Show me who it is. If the entire budget for this department is basically winnowed down to do nothing more than allow him to go on, now now is the time for such a tour. Just have him wandering the earth in these inner cities, talking with these people, making these pitches, I'm in. Unfortunately, I smell something like Carrier. I smell it smacks of compassionate conservatism. So you're not wrong, but you're probably not right. Uh, I think you're going to be right, and so will I. I have little doubt Ben's going to give this message. He's consistently He was consistently giving this message while he was overseeing a scam pack. Okay? He's going to give this message. Now, are we going to get phony, compassionate conservatism? Well, yeah, because I don't think Donald Trump's serious about limited government on any level whatsoever. But if you, but you know what? If they're going to shake me down anyway, Aaron at least provides some kind of message that gives people some inspiration or incentive to not repeat, to not just sit there and circle the drain for another generation. I do think Carson will do that. Yeah, yeah I tweeted the same thing a couple weeks ago when his name was first kind of bandied about in consideration for this post as uh, Secretary of Housing and Urban Development. Uh, the, the thing that he lacks and is the same thing that he lacked as a presidential candidate, and he doesn't know. I mean, I, I can't see how he knows the minutia of how to do that particular job, which means he's going to need to be surrounded by some really smart people. I'm always that guy. But maybe that's because the conventional wisdom is almost always wrong. You're listening to Steve Dace. Who need in-home care?
letting the lion out of its cage. The Steve Day Show. You know, it's a few Christmas carols when you hear them remind you, and the versions of them specifically remind you of your childhood. This this Rockin' Around the Christmas Tree by Brenda Lee is one. Um, the uh, the uh, Anne Murray's version of Silver Bells because my mom was a huge Anne Murray fan. That's another right. So these are there's a, there's there's some Christmas songs when you hear them just remind you of your childhood. Every time I hear that song, it reminds me of when I was a kid. All right, some more weekend news and views, and uh, this involves a certain phone call the president elect either received mm-hmm. or or gave over the weekend. And everybody's freaking out, Steve. On Friday, uh, President-elect Trump uh, took a phone call from the president of Taiwan, Tsai Ing-wen, as the first woman elected to Taiwan's highest office. You'd think that uh, maybe all world leaders and world leaders-to-be would celebrate Tsai as a universally recognized historic figure, but that um, that was not uh, the case at all. Uh, upon winning the presidency in May, Tsai had never received even a phone call from Hillary Clinton, who was running to become America's first female president. Why is this a big deal? Well, China has successfully stopped Taiwan, officially known in international circles as the Republic of China, from being recognized by the vast majority of the world's countries. Only 21 countries have diplomatic relations with the island government in exile. To make matters more complicated, both Taiwan and China see themselves as the legitimate government of the entirety of the Chinese territory. Communist China, of course, is recognized as one of the least free countries. Taiwan, on the other hand, is one of the more free lands with democratic elections, civil liberties, human rights. The mainstream media, the liberal media, just absolutely freaked out over this. The economy, uh, the Economist uh, claimed um, this 10-minute phone call started a foreign policy crisis. The New York Times regarded this move as an affront to China. And then in another piece, the paper claimed that Trump is now upsetting decades of oh, diplomacy. Vox, do you know what a Vox is? A Vox... Uh, All I know is half the conservative media spends a day their day tweeting about it. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Trump made a blunder of historical proportions. Uh, Nicholas Burns of the Harvard Kennedy School called the president-elect's move a significant mistake. Left-wing pundit Keith Olbermann offered the conversation as proof to, quote, confirm Trump is clueless and crazy, end quote. Senator Chris Murphy from Connecticut said such a major pivot is how wars start. Democratic National Committee commented that the foolish phone call threatens our national security. Talking Poets Memos, John Marshall said the call is as dangerous as it sounds. How dangerous does that sound, by the way? I'm, I'm having trouble uh, I, figuring I, that part out. I, I, I'm going to do it again. I think everybody's got this one wrong, too. Now... I don't think this is any intentional strategy, like Reagan saying, tear down this wall. I don't think this was an intentional provocation at all. I think that's given Trump way too much credit, guys. I think he had, either he took the call or just I, – I, I, I don't think they fully thought through the ramifications potentially of this the on thing, any level at all. The only thing Trump's intentional about is being unintentional about everything. <laughs> I, I, I agree. That notwithstanding – there is a reason to be critical of this, but all the reasons that they're cr- being critical of it are all wrong. Why in the world do we care 
about offending our biggest competitor in the world. I would think we'd want to defeat them. I, I, I would think we'd want to reestablish our superiority over them. Why, wh- I, I want to use this line that Joker uses in The Dark Knight, but it's just too vulgar. But it's, it's where he asks the gangsters in the room as they're assembled at their, at their powwow if, he, if they've lost their, their genitals. Are, are we serious? It's not enough that we've sold half the cotton-picking country to China, but we're going to we're going to give them we're going to give them our manlies too. Seriously, I mean seriously, half the things you buy are from Taiwan. Enough already with the idea that it's a pretend country, and who cares if so? You, you know what? The Chinese are so offended. We'll get fewer Sony TV sent to us next month. No, we won't. Come on, man. This whole thing is a joke. And this is another example of when this guy goes off, at some point he will go off and, and need to be reeled in. But all of you people who lost it over everything he did that was unconventional according to your failed paradigm, the public will remember and they will say, you're just the boy who cried wolf. And then you won't be able to reel him in when the time actually comes that you may need to. You are creating the very thing you say you loathe. You are creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is something we should have done long ago. And, and, I, and I don't want to hear from any more Bush administration people on Twitter. Well, I was, Ari Fleischer, well, I was told we had to, well, you know what? You know, Bush Sr. gave a most favored nation status after they rolled through the tanks, or rolled the tanks through Tiananmen Square. Uh, maybe, I, maybe it's just me. I'm tired of kissing their highness. Anybody else want to second that one? Can I get a second on I'm tired of kissing the Chinese highness? I'm tired of kissing their shoes. Anybody else tired of it? I'm tired of it. I'm in. Enough. The right criticism is maybe we maybe Trump ought to be just as provocative towards the communist in the Kremlin as he is the communists over in Beijing. That's the right criticism. Wrong criticism again. We used to actually want to upset the world's largest communist power. We used to get off on it. That's back when the Olympics were interesting, okay? We used to live for offending the world's largest communist superpower. Now, oh, we took a phone call. Well, you know what? I also, we also took 10 million Velcro wallets from Taiwan and sold them last year, too. What, what, what is one phone call? No, the real issue here is why we're cozying up to the communist in the Kremlin. While, 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 we're, while we're, we're picking at uh, the Chinese. I want, that's, that's to me, that's the criticism, Todd. Well, there's another, you're right, but there's another criticism. And to do it, we should queue up your CR column uh, from this weekend and Trump's relationship with the media. I mean, every time Obama did something off the reservation, uh, nukes to Iran, Cuba, bowing to foreign dignitaries, we'd get the, the media, the hushed tones, you know. Arming drug lords uh, in uh, Mexico. Yes, yes, gun, the gun running. Uh, he just, he, he, he does things a different way, and we really just need to this stand back and watch it. You know, it's yeah. a master in action. But tr- tr- Trump does something different. Oh, our hair's on fire. You're a joke press, an absolute joke. Couldn't have said it better myself. Listening to Steve Dace.
liberty has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. This is Steve Dace. Well, I know this time of year, a lot of worthy causes are asking for your help. And this Christmas, we're going to try and help the worthiest cause of them all, and that is the gospel. Over 2 million children in the Middle Eastern's refugee areas are dislocated in the area of Lebanon due to threats of terrorism and war, and we're trying to give them the gospel. We're trying to reach children like Amy. You would be hard-pressed to find refugees in Lebanon who have not experienced terrible loss. And it's the children who have suffered the most. Fleeing the terror of war, many have lost one or both of their parents. For Amy, it was her uncle, killed as he tried to flee Syria. Her wounded father is no longer capable of working or supporting the family. Heart for Lebanon met Amy in a refugee camp. Desperate for help and in great need, she was invited to attend the Hope Center in the Bekaa Valley. And that's where her life-changing transformation began. The school that I used to attend was not treating us well because we are refugee children. But I thank God for this school because it is drawing me closer to God and is teaching me about Him. The tens of thousands of refugee families in Lebanon are considered outcasts. 52% of all refugees are under the age of 18 and most have been out of school for several years. These kids, roaming the tent cities in despair, are targeted by radicals, exploited and recruited by criminal gangs for terrorist groups and sex trafficking, unless we help. Your gift of $98 brings the gospel to 18 of these kids. And at the Hope Center, Heart for Lebanon welcomes them to be part of a genuine faith community. We must rescue these children for Christ before someone else captures them for evil. Please, be as generous as you can. I love the Hope Center because it has introduced me to Jesus. Your gift to Heart for Lebanon is going to bring the gospel to children like Amy. In fact, we can reach 18 children like Amy with the gospel for only $98. Your one-time Christmas gift of $98 helps bring the gospel to 18 refugee children just like Amy with stories just like the one you heard. Please call. 844-441-9966. That's 844-441-9966. Or go to our website, stevedace.com, right now. Click on the banner right now. Help us take the gospel to these children in Lebanon. 844-441-9966. Or our website at stevedace.com. Listening to Steve Dace. 
You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential. Derived from our maker, that is liberty. And liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 2 of the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. want to let you know, for our Theo nerds out there, Johnny Erickson Tata is going to join us in Hour number 3 tonight. And we're going to talk about suffering. Everybody's favorite topic. But how do we find meaning in a world that will cause us to suffer? Sometimes because of things we've done and it's deserved. Sometimes just because that is the way of things in a fallen world, and it is not deserved. So how do we find meaning in those situations? Johnny Erickson Tata will join us in Hour 3 to discuss. Bob Vanderplatz is here for Hour 2. We'll get to him in just a moment. First, I want to remind you, we love to know what you think about what we think, so you can email us. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Also, if you missed it at the top of the program tonight, the uh, big announcement was made to open the program. The video of that is on our Facebook wall, as well as an uh, article of con- from Conservative Review about tonight's uh, big news, which is our book, A Nefarious Plot, is set to become a major motion picture uh, to be produced by the, uh, the studio that uh, has done several successful movies, but uh, the one that you're going to probably know the most about most recently is God's Not Dead, which is one of the most profitable films in Hollywood history. And this is going to be one of their next projects for a 2018 release. So, Bob, your take on uh, tonight's big news. First of all, congratulations. I'm excited for it. Thank and, you. And uh, a nefarious plot. I remember when you shared the manuscript with me and and then seeing it get into book form and seeing what's happened there. And now, as you mentioned in the first hour, you know, this is only God. Uh, I know he's given you the talent and all that, and I know you've given all credit to him. But to open up a door like this, I think people need to know you were not seeking this. You weren't saying, hey, turn my book into a movie. Would have no idea how to do it if I was. You know, I, so I that, wouldn't even know where, to, where the first call would even, if I'd even thought of it, which I did not. But if I, if I would have thought of it, I would not literally know the first call to make to see how it could happen. So these guys get a hold of you at info at stevedace.com and say, hey, we don't know you, but... We like your book, and we think it should be a movie. I mean, right there, you got to think, yeah. oh, come on, I man. thought it was a troll. I, I said to the guys last hour, I thought, all right, every all every never-Trumper is going to get some kind of comeuppance. This is obviously mine. Other people are going to get it worse than me. Mm-hmm. If this is my comeuppance, I will take it like a man. You've trolled me. Fine. I had no idea that this was actually true. Well, I'm excited for it. Matter of fact, I, I really believe the story, and the people who haven't read your book yet, I hope they do read the book so they can get excited about the movie as well. But the culture needs to see this movie. I mean, I think the culture needs to read the book, but I think more than anything, if this, if they can bring this book to life on the big screen, it can have a tremendous impact on the culture. And I know that's what you hope as well. Now, it, it dawned on me that we didn't tell people last hour when we announced this what the book is about. So we can't assume that everybody that is listening to us tonight has read it. Uh, the idea for this book... They do know the title, though, right? They do know the title, which is A Nefarious Plot. Uh, and it's not named after me. No, it's not named after you. I got the idea for this book. I was actually in the shower getting ready to catch a plane to go to D.C. to do publicity for 
rules for patriots. And this line came to me when I was in the shower. This book is dedicated to all the useful idiots out there, especially those who had no idea that you were being used all this time. For you proved to be the most useful idiots of them all, Lord Nefarious. Out of nowhere, that popped into my head. And that... That, that should be concerning right there that, that popped into your it head. It did. I'm just sitting there. I mean, I'm, I'm sitting there waiting for the cream rinse to you know work for a minute, and uh-huh. that pops into my head. And um, that was the mustard seed that this book came from. And the whole and and so I'm sitting in a hotel in Washington D.C. I just done a bunch of publicity. So, so give the timeline. How long ago was that? This was April of 2014, and I'm sitting in a hotel in D.C. I just done some publicity. In fact. What also went on during this trip was the first time I, I had a, a serious meeting with Ted Cruz's people about the potential of him running for president because several other candidates had already approached me and asked me about running. And it was here in D.C. with Chip Roy and Jason Johnson and John Drogan, sort of his brain trust, that, that we discussed it for the first time. So I just got done actually doing Levin's show to promote Rules for Patriots. That was my last publicity thing that night. And I had a bunch of hours alone by myself in a hotel room, which for a married guy can, uh, in, a, in, in a den of iniquity can be a lot of trouble. So I figured I could come up with something to occupy my time. Mm-hmm. So maybe this is a new book. And so I started writing the, the introduction to the book, which is largely what was written that weekend or that week, is what is still in the book today. That was the first thing I wrote. I spent several hours that night before I crashed in the hotel writing this introduction about what this would be. And... Um, and and the idea was that Lord Nefarious is a demon general from hell who was tasked by the devil well over a century ago with the destruction of America. And he is so confident that his plan has been successful, that it is irreversible, that in order to prove to his master, the devil, that he has fulfilled his mission, he's going to publish it all in a book. He's going to tell exactly how he did it, who he did it with, and who he did it to. Uh, names, real history. You've read it, so you guys mm-hmm. know there's real history in here. Real, real philosophy, real contemporary and, and historical political names are in here. And he, he connects every dot. Literally, here's how I did it. Here are the philosophies I created, I corrupted, I co-opted. And, and the fact that he will publish it openly in a book and we will ignore it or think it is conspiracy or think it's uh, self, you know, um, self-parody that we'll be too numbed to uh, to take it at face value. This is nefarious dancing in yes, the end zone. he's spiking the ball, as my wife likes to put it, yes. Mm-hmm. And it took a long time to write this book. Um, because of you know the schedule I keep and the team we have, we can produce a lot of content around here pretty quickly. Uh, I wrote Rules for Patriots in 28 days. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, this book took a year or well over a year to write. And the reason why, even though it's a shorter book, a little bit shorter than Rules, I found myself identifying with this character too much, and it freaked me out. I had to walk away. I mean, I, I found myself sort of cheering nefarious on, recognizing that uh, that uh, that's not the desired response, you know. And uh, he, his shoes at times were too easy for me to slip into. And um, it's that uh, when you dance with the devil, the devil don't change, he changes you kind of mm-hmm. thing. So I, I had to walk away. Sometimes for weeks or months, I didn't write a word, uh, just to— Sort of hit control alt delete to take a shower. Yeah, take a silkwood shower, mm-hmm. right? You know, and then there was a there was a big debate for many months about, and this went on for several months actually, about how to end the book. And um, and I, I this may surprise some people, but I was the uh, the cotton headed ninny muggins here. I was the I was the softy. I was the one that did not want to end it dark. 
I don't like nihilistic entertainment. It's why I've I've ejected on the uh, on the Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. I, the gore doesn't bother me, but when I when it was obvious that there's no morality tale here, they're just circling the drain and coming up with new and brutal ways to dispatch undead beings. There's no other story being really told. I'm I'm I don't really care. So I checked out. So I needed to have some redemptive element, you know, and. And we fought, to, meaning fought, meaning the team that helped put the book, the publisher, myself, the people that were responsible for it. You know, we battled back and forth about how to end it for several months. And I wanted to see if maybe we could get some a big name, like a Franklin Graham or somebody to write the afterword. Because it couldn't be me that would write the afterword mm-hmm. because that would be cheesy. So some kind of afterword, hey, this doesn't have to be the end of the story. Some kind of redemptive element and... um and, Some uh, hook to revival. Yeah, and I because I didn't want it to end poorly. Mm-hmm. And then one day, my wife just looked at me and said, Stephen, if it's a book written by a demon, is he going to offer a plan B? Do you want to do you want to be the guy who writes the the, the 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 you're the ten millionth person to write the villain with the with the handlebar mustache who twisted and says, well, now that you're going to die anyway, let me tell you how you can stop me. You know what? Mm-hmm. That's such a contrived agate prop story device. Do you want to be that guy? Mm-hmm. No. So if you're writing, a, if it's a demon, and he's good, as you said, he's going to spike the ball in the end zone, then it needs to end with the spiritual equivalent of a your mama joke and how you like how you like them apples, and then that's it. And um, on her suggestion, that is how the book ends. It ends with um, an in-your-face. That's how it ends, and then, that, then that's it. So um, can I go back to the beginning of it really quick? Sure. Before I worked for you, you sent me the first chapter and a half, I think, and I read it, and I, I was very interested, but my, you, I, I didn't hear from you again, for like you said. I don't remember how long. I just thought it died, and and the thought I had after you I read it You also think it's is, funny that I first channeled a demon general from hell while well, I was inside Washington, D.C.? <laughs> Come on now. <laughs> I, I've always had faith in you. I... I I thought this was the one thing you weren't going to be able to follow through on. I just didn't think you were going to be able to keep a narrative, chapter after chapter after chapter, a voice, not a narrative, that was consistent because not because it was so hard. You, you've admitted as much. You had to walk away from it because of the challenge, and it's one of the most wonderful things that I was proven wrong on because he, you fought through it and you came through clean on the other side. Well, thank you, guys. We are very excited. And as much as I like to take the helmet stickers, we'll talk some real news when we come back. You're listening to Steve Dace. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. The Steve Dace Show. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review, here on the Salem Radio Network. So, Bob, let's get to some real news that people actually care about. But before you get to the real news, you know, you think of how excited you were when you heard the news that this was going to be made into a major movie picture. The next guest that you're going to have on, Hour 3, that's how excited I was when Johnny Erickson Tada agreed to write the forward for my first book. Mm-hmm. Uh, light from Lucas. Johnny Erickson Toddy, you want to listen to our three. Tremendous, tremendous story. And she can give you insight into suffering and how you can use it for God's glory. So I, I'd say definitely tune into our three. My plug for Johnny. Well, 
uh, you're talking about a woman that has been one of the inspirational figures of her generation. So that is some well-deserving praise for sure. Let's talk today's big cabinet appointment news. Mm -hmm. Ben Carson is the head of HUD. Now, I, I, we were talking about this last hour. I, I really don't try on purpose to have a contrarian view to most people. I, I really don't. Like, we don't have any pre-show meetings on this show, let alone, um, like, planning out how to take it, have a different, we don't, like, my wife got on me when I got home the other night. How did I, how come you didn't tell me Max Lucado was going to be on? Because I didn't know until I showed up here an hour and a half for the show started that Max Lucado was going to be on. Right, because like literally once a month we may talk before the show. That's just how we roll. We like to make things as spontaneous as possible. And that being said, I, I think the conventional wisdom about this appointment today, while it is deserved, it's misplaced. The idea that he's not qualified for the position, well, that's not even a debatable point. He's not. And and the the spin that he, well, he's the only HUD secretary that ever lived in public housing well, Carson's best friend Armstrong Williams said today that's actually not true. He never lived in public housing. So I don't know. Sometimes I have a hard time figuring out if Armstrong Williams is trying to help Ben Carson or not. That seems like a strange friendship. All right. He was the remember everybody thinks Carson is who said this, but it was actually Armstrong Williams who said about a month ago that Carson would not take a cabinet appointment because he doesn't think he's qualified to run a department. Remember that? I do remember that. It was that. actually Armstrong Williams that said that, not Carson. But that notwithstanding. I kind of like having uh, people in charge of departments that shouldn't exist of the government that aren't qualified. They might be less inclined to want to actually spend my money with them. But I think we're looking at this wrong because I think we're only seeing this appointment through the prism of the absolute joke Ben Carson was for the last year and a half as pretending to be a politician. And his campaign was a scam pack, and we saw it in Iowa. They weren't really campaigning. The biggest lie of this last campaign was Cruz stole the Iowa caucuses for him. That's all a scam, all a lie. But, but, but if we're going to be very critical, and I think all deserved in my view, I don't know what you think, but I think it's all deserved. If we're going to be very critical of the scam pack that was his pretend political campaign for the last two years, well, you can't just look at that man's life in that context either. There, he, he lived a life for 63 years prior to becoming a fake politician. And in those 63 years, he was a Joni Erickson Tata level inspirational figure to millions of people around the world. He as sure well. was. And, and one of the ways he was an inspirational figure was, that he overcame fatherlessness, uh, he overcame illiteracy, uh, overcame poverty, to become arguably the greatest neurosurgeon of his age, one of the greatest the world's ever produced, no doubt. Who better to use the platform of the of, of HUD, where forty five percent of the people in government housing are black, thirty two percent are white, the vast majority of them are are at or underneath the poverty line. Um, who better to use that department as a platform to go in as a – because remember, there was, this was the reason people were excited about him as a candidate in the first place. Because his life story is a symbol of the very things we as conservatives are trying to conserve that make America exceptional. I, and, and, and even when he was running his – even when he, his campaign was a scam pack, when he was getting paid six figures to give his speeches, this was the message he was actually giving. Why would we not want a HUD secretary giving that message? Who's going to be invited to all these inner city and all these poverty programs and all these inner city programs and, and banquets all over the country because he's the head of this cabinet? Don't we want him giving that message? I, I think that we on the right who have very legitimate qualms and concerns and criticisms of Trump and one of which we'll get to with Ivanka and Al Gore here in a few minutes. But 
we, we, we can't become like the liberal media here, where, where we're so critical of things that aren't worthy of being critical of. Then when the time comes later on that we need to, we need to get, pull the reins and say, hey, he can't do this, that we have, we, we've lost our minds on trivial things or misguided things up until this point that nobody listens to us. Of course, Ben Carson's not qualified. Most of the people that are technically qualified for HUD are Marxists. We wouldn't want to give the position to anyway. The reason you'd want him in that position is it's one heck of a bully pulpit to go to urban America and say, you don't have to do this for another generation. My life story proves America can provide a better way. Why would we not cheer that on? We should cheer it on. As a matter of fact, uh, I think this whole idea about is he qualified, isn't he qualified, look at where HUD has gone with leadership that is quote-unquote qualified. It, it has done nothing. So I think that the beauty about bringing a guy like Ben Carson into being Secretary of HUD is he doesn't know what he doesn't know. But what he does know is what works and what doesn't work. And the story that you talk about, you know, hey, look, at I didn't have a dad. Look at this. I mean, I had to get an education. Look at this. I have. I had to have a strong mom. I had to have a strong community. I had to raise myself up from the bootstraps. I, I was able to do it not only to be a pioneer in the neurosurgical field, but I also was able to run for president of the United States because I thought we need to do something different. So on HUD, I believe we need to do something different as well. I've been pleased, as I've told you offline, with many of Trump's picks. I'm very pleased with this <clears throat> with this pick of Ben Carson to be Secretary of HUD. First of all, that department, uh, there's a legit, now, see, there's I'm, a legitimacy I'm, question for that department. I'm pleased with the, I'm pleased with what he's done so far with the positions I really care about. I'm not really pleased with the ones he's done with the things I don't care about. But since I don't care about them and my expectations were low, sure. I'll live with it. But the thing of it is, is that as you and I discuss, if he makes a few major key appointments, which he has, and then you got the big one coming up Supreme Court, but I think Ben Carson right now, a tremendous opportunity to tell the story, stop relying on government, stop relying on these programs that are just a cycle of dependency generation after generation. Let's get out of this cycle. If he can break that, God bless him. So I, people have asked, uh, and a friend of mine who is very close with Ben said that he asked, this is the one that he asked for. And at first you think, why? Why would he ask for this? Why wouldn't he ask for Surgeon General or even Secretary of Education, given uh, his background and how much he's talked about? Or Health and Human literacy Services. Literacy or HHS, obviously. You bet. Why this one? Well, the reason why would be this fits would, his story. Ex- exactly what we just talked this about. This is his DNA. His story became such a, I mean, it was obviously a best selling book. He went all over the country before he ran for president. I remember having him at, him at one of our events in November 2014, just a packed house. And people were mesmerized by this guy telling his story. I think that one of the lessons I've had to learn as I've been growing up while watching my kids grow up, because they have made me grow up quite a bit. Oh, sure they do. And and one of the things I've had to learn is that people are complicated. It's not as simple as all right all the time or all wrong all the time. And sometimes great people do mind-numbingly stupid things and immoral things, and sometimes mind-numbingly stupid and immoral people do great things. There is no question Ben Carson's campaign was the worst scam pack I've ever seen till Jill Stein's fake recount. But, but that also doesn't mean that the previous 63 years of his life didn't happen either. But the consistent there is he's always pushed the boundaries. Days.
Breathe the free air while you still can. The Steve Day Show. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. All right, so while I'm skeptical of the conventional wisdom, Bob Vanderplatz, on Ben Carson for HUD for reasons I just articulated, I, this next on this next point, I think the, skept- the conventional wisdom has it all right. Can you uh, give me any valid reasons why Donald and Ivanka Trump would have an inconvenient meeting to talk fake junk science global warming with Al Gore at Trump Tower? No, I don't. Uh, that one uh, baffles me as well. Uh, but there's no doubt that Ivanka, she she definitely embraces the global warming. Um, so, And we know that Ivanka has a lot of influence on Mr. Trump as well. And so that they would have a meeting with Al Gore on on global. Th- this one just kind of baffles me. It, it just doesn't fit. Uh, even with the people that he surround himself with, the Kellyanne Conways, the Steve Bannons, the David Bozzies, the others that are around, it just doesn't fit. So, so what, what possibly constructive media message is attempting to be set, uh, see, set that, with this? That's the thing. I think in this time frame, in this time frame, okay, I put uh, Ben Carson as HUD secretary. I'm not sure what it gains him. And what's the upside here? What's the message that he's trying to give unless he's saying, listen, uh, I'm embracing this message as well, I ju- but I just don't see it. And so, quite frankly, I don't know what to think about it. I think he likes the optics of Al Gore coming into his building, just like he likes with Mitt Romney coming into his building. It well, well there's, no, his there's, ego. there's no doubt it's a part of that. But here's the thing is that Al Gore, everybody knows that the, the, the playing field is different. Al Gore is not looking to be a cabinet pick or a cabinet secretary. The guy was vice president. The guy was close to being president of the United States. Uh, this is one thing, and this is, you know, I'm coming in with my agenda. To you, the president like Donald Trump. So I think, I, I mean, I agree with you, Todd, but I think the optics are different from Mitt Romney wanting to have a job to Al Gore wanting to push an agenda. Is it possible? Now, my experience with Donald Trump, albeit it's well over a year old now, yours is more recent than mine. My, my previous experience with Donald Trump is that while he is calculating, not this far in advance calculating. Okay, so... Is it possible this was done so that when he makes somebody like Myron Ebel at the American Enterprise Institute, head of EPA, who's a, uh, a who the global warming jihadist hate Myron's guts for all the right reasons, that Trump can turn around and say, well, you know, we had Gore up here. I listened to his pitch and everything else, you know, and, you know, I, I, so he can say that he listened, that he gave him an audience. Do you think it's possible that they are that that kind of calculating? You know, I don't know. I mean, this guy obviously— Or am I giving them too much credit? Well, I don't know if you're giving them too much credit. I mean, all throughout the campaign, he gave himself a lot of credit. That well, he, we that all he, agree he gave that, himself a lot of credit. Well, but he gave him a lot, himself a lot of credit about he was the master of the art of the deal. And the art of the deal is a thing that he is going to go by. So what this goes into play in regards to another play I've got coming here a little bit later— I don't know. This one just completely baffled me. What deal? I, I didn't see it coming, and I'm not sure what the upside of it what, is. What deal do you cut with a zealot from the other side's worldview? What deal is to be cut? I don't know. And I'm not sure what it does to help you going into your first 100 days of the administration. I can't believe this is part of the first 100-day agenda that you want to push. So 
Help us game plan this out. You're Mike Pence and, and Ken Blackwell from Family Research Council, who are running the transition team. And by the way, I love both those guys. I, I don't. I have my thoughts yeah. on Mike Pence, but I like Ken Blackwell a lot. But um, you get a text. Somebody says, "Hey, Al Gore is here to meet uh, Ivanka and, and and Donald on global warming." And I've your, got a couple questions. Your, your reaction to that is your Steve Bannon. Your reaction to that is what? Well, that's what I'm saying. When you take a look at the team, the trans- or even Reince Priebus, this is even an issue. Most rhinos even get this issue right. The transition team, the chief of staff, the uh, the advisor of Bannon or whatever it might be, or chief strategist of Bannon, I think a lot of people have questions on this deal. And, I, yeah, I, I just don't know. I wish I had a good answer for you, Steve, but this is the way I think the play is. I don't know what the play is. So he might be the master of the art of the office. I don't, I don't see a play here. You think Todd's right that his ego just likes having these luminaries with big names, essentially making a, pill, a hodge to Trump Tower? Well, there's no doubt. I think he likes to have the people with big names coming into Trump Tower and everybody's seeing them coming into Trump Tower. I just think this one's different. Uh, I mean, the, Ivanka says today she is, quote, very, or Gore says that Ivanka told him she is, quote, very committed to sensible climate change legislation. What is that? What's sensible? You know, I, I don't know. And that's the other thing. I think there's more questions. If I'm Mike Pence, if I'm Kim Blackwell, if I'm any one of those people, those are the questions I'd be asking. What What are we talking about? Sensible climate change. We're still trying to get the people in the right places. And then let's determine strategy. More with Bob Vanderplatz in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. All right, back here on the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Bob Vanderplatz is here with us, as he is each Monday at this time from the Family Leader. I think we're going to have to learn um, with this presidency and the way, the unconventional way that he communicates, that there is what I, I guess what I would politely call grist for the mill. Maybe another way of, of putting it is red meat for the masses. And then there's substantive policy. So over the weekend, Trump reiterated we're going to have a 35% tariff. No, we're not. That there is, I mean, monkeys are going to fly at a ditch McConnell's rectum before a 35% tariff, before a... For companies that move uh, yes, out of the United States. Yes. It, for, it, 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 monkeys will fly at a, at a ditch McConnell's rectum before a... Uh, a zero point zero 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 three five percent tariff comes out. It's never happening. It's just it's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. Right after the if you burn the flag, we revoke your citizenship. Law is never going to happen. Okay, and you've already seen the Republican leadership in Congress say there's never, and then there never. That's never happening. Because as much as there's one thing these people fear more than Trump cult, K Street. It's never going to happen. Now, if you wanted to tell me that we were going to get rid of the income tax and go back to a tariff import custom duties um, means of funding the government, which is what we did for the first century and a half, okay, I would listen to that as a replacement. 
But the idea that on top of a con- the world's arguably the world's worst confiscatory tax scheme in an industrialized nation, on the uh, on top of that, we're now going to put another tax on imported goods because the companies aren't going to pay it. Everything at Walmart and Target is going to be thirty five percent more, right? Now you're just he's screwing the very people that he claims to be and 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 proved on November eighth to some extent he represents. It's never going to happen. It would never. It wouldn't last one day in Congress. Whoever stood up to advocate it would either have to be somebody okay with being a one-termer, or has already decided to retire for simply introducing the legislation. They can count on never getting a call from K Street ever returned ever again. This is this is where the Chamber of Commerce may may be against us on immigration, but this is where they are a friend. This is never going to happen, and the whole revoking citizenship if you burn the flag is never going to happen. These are things that are grist for the mill, I believe, thrown out to accomplish two goals. Number one, uh, keep their heads ringing in the media so they keep looking like completely feckless morons having a cow over everything so that when the time comes that they actually nail them on something, no one will believe it because we've heard them cry wolf so many times. And so it's done to troll the media to, to, you know, to pop their cork. And the other is because there's a certain element of Billy Bob America that, 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 that gets off on this. And, and they'll sign up for more email blasts so the rest of us can, you know, be spammed some more. Those are the only two reasons these things are thrown out there. There is zero negative integer chance they will ever become substantive public, public policy, Bob. Well, I think what you're seeing is I think there's no doubt uh, that President-elect Trump, is, he's unconventional. He may be throwing the pendulum so far, A, is to, to basically get, give a threat, give a warning to businesses looking at moving their business outside of our boundaries. You also have Governor Mike Pence, who was brought in in a quick hurry to say, okay, you're in charge of the transition team. A lot of people believe that, that Vice President Pence is going to be in charge of a lot of the policies, a lot of the stuff to actually, how do I get this stuff done? And I think that's where you're going to see, you know, President Trump, I think, who may be throwing the pendulum so far, and then Mike Pence bringing it back sure. by saying, this is Here, here's, deal. Here's, what, here's what the policy throw, can actually throw, get done for throw us. Throw out there, we're thinking of a 35% tariff scheme, which never pass, will never pass. Will never pass. There's a better chance that Ditch McConnell's Senate would recognize me as America's best talk show host in a proclamation, and they're going to pass a 35% tariff scheme. Never. But if you throw that out there, all of a sudden when you come in and use some crony capitalist deal with carrier, whoever the next carrier is, it seems more reasonable because you moved the at Overton least, window. At window least so we far. didn't do a 35% tariff. That's exactly tariff. right. That, now, that's classic at art least, of the deal. At least we didn't deport citizens yes. who, who burned the flag and the First Amendment still intact. Sure. sure. That's the kind of stuff where I can see Trump saying, okay, look, at, look, if it were up to me, this is what I would do. Exactly. And then when Pence comes and says, this is the best we can do, then you know he can go off and say, you know what, I'd rather do this, but if this is the best we can do, this is the best we can do. Don't you think, though, and I've been saying this since after the election— and it's clear very few people are taking my advice. Don't you think, dude, as the great prophet Aaron Rodgers once said, relax. I mean, don't you think when you're dealing with a guy who is a walking user achievement troll trophy unlocked, uh, don't you think pace yourself? You know what I'm saying? I mean, ease up, uh, ease up shooter. It's a long four years. If you overreact to every piece of red meat that's thrown out there, every troll I mean, defibrillators are going to be sold out in America by the time we get to the 2018 midterms. He has done this so well through the primary, through the general, and now through the transition of just using the media to his advantage 
the media is like uh, the the, de- the dependency is I need him to say something today. Yeah, like so a I, junkie I, and a, and I a, can and a over overreact. And he understands this. He knows this. Uh, but, you know, first of all, it's not even January 20th. The guy is not even inaugurated to be president yet. Let's see what he does when it comes to the time of governing. But I can be excited about some of the picks he has, some of the appointments that he has. Uh, the Supreme Court judge is one that we need to take a look at. But I believe Chuck Hurley, our vice president here of the Family Leader, said today there will be like 400 judges throughout the system over the course of his four years that he is going to have to appoint. So it depends on what judges all throughout the system get appointed as well. If he can do some good things there, praise God, thrilled that he's in there, thrilled that Hillary is not in there, and that we have a chance with the team that at least he surrounded himself with. Are we going to have to send Ivanka on some kind of clothing line junket when judicial appointments come up? You know, I, I mean, there's no doubt. Ivanka and, and Mr. Trump are are very, very close, and he relies on her input a lot. I don't think you're going to see Ivanka to be like, you know, we talked a little bit about Hillary Clinton to Bill Clinton with Hillary can fix anything, uh, the health care financing administration. I don't think you're going to see that, but I think behind the scenes, Ivanka is going to have a, a big hand in a lot of things, and I think that's why... You know, I give a lot of credit to the Eagle Forum for raising red flags already about who the who's on that Supreme Court list and who can't be one of the nominees. We'll see you next week, brother. Thanks, ma'am. All right, we'll come back. Wrap up hour number two here in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Jenner's favorite program. Call me Caitlin. This is Steve Dace. Well, you know, there's been a lot of discussion and debate throughout the course of this year about how to handle the refugee crisis in the Middle East. Let's face it, we're dealing with a lot of adults who could be potential security risks, and our friends in Europe have been going through the tragic consequences of this process throughout the course of this year. But that doesn't mean, even though there's legitimate concerns about how many of these people we can import, that doesn't mean there's a lot of children that still aren't caught in the crossfire of war and terrorism. And we have a chance right now to help children just like Ellen. Ellen was depressed, angry, and living in despair, a long way from the home she loved. At first, we had stability in Syria. But after the war started, I lived in fear every day for myself and my family. We wanted to stay, but soon realized that we had no choice but to escape and leave our home. Millions of refugees have faced the same reality of having to escape in the face of war and terrorism. For Ellen, this change proved more difficult than she ever imagined. Traveling for miles by foot, trying to escape with all my children was very dangerous. We lived in daily fear of ISIS ambushing us on the roads, and that journey was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. What Ellen never expected, though, was what awaited her and her family once they reached the refugee camp. 
It was there that she met Heart for Lebanon. I'm no longer angry or depressed. Ellen and her family also finally heard, for the first time, the clear truth of the gospel. We had heard about Jesus, but never learned about him. This is the most important thing to happen to me, to know Jesus. I didn't know Jesus as a savior, and now I come every month to Bible study and learn about the love of God. It is very different in Islam. We lived in fear. Christianity has taught me about love. And her children are learning about God's love as well. Enrolled at Heart for Lebanon's Hope Center, they're learning English, math, science, and like so many other refugee children, they've responded to the gospel and received Christ as Savior. Despair turned to hope. You make this happen when you give to Heart for Lebanon. $98 brings the gospel to 18 refugee children, but any amount will help. And please know this, when you give, lives are changed. And entire communities of faith rise up out of the desert. Thanks for being as generous as you can. We can help Ellen right where she is. We can take the gospel to her through Heart for Lebanon. 844-441-9966. 844-441-9966. Or just go to my website at stevedace.com. Click on the banner to take the gospel to children like Ellen in Lebanon right now. You're listening to Steve Dace. You are now about to witness the strength of knowledge. This is Steve Dace. Raising a banner of bold colors, no pale pastels. People should not be afraid of their governments. Governments should be afraid of their people. Our rights are inherent and essential, derived from our maker. That is liberty, and liberty will reign in America. This is Steve Dace. And we're back with Hour 3 here tonight at the Steve Dace Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, we love to know what you think about what we think. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Coming up here at the bottom of the hour, the one and only Johnny Erickson Todd is going to join us, talking about how do we find meaning in suffering. And she has been an inspirational figure since she was rendered a quadriplegic after an accident when she was 17. And she has spoken to millions of people all over the world ever since about how her faith has sustained her during that ordeal. So we are honored to have her join us later on here tonight. But first, it's time for three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on the Steve Day Show. It is three questions when our producer Aaron gets to remind us that it ain't no phone when the rabbit's got the gun. He gets to ask us any three questions about any three things. There is nothing off limits. He can ask us anything he wants. But there is one rule he has to answer the same questions to. Thank you, Steve. Uh, so someday, when they make a movie about all of our lives, 
uh, about the story of all of our lives, and you could choose which currently alive actor would you want to portray you and why. Oh, boy. Do you go for somebody you think looks like you, or do you go for somebody of, who, of critical acclaim? Personally, I go for the latter. Somebody of critical acclaim? Mm-hmm. Todd, I'm going to let you go first. I want to think about this for a minute. Well, it's got to be somewhere in the ballpark. I mean, Steve's not going to be portrayed by like, Michael J. Fox or something. Let's, uh, let's see, me. Although I was an Alex P. Keaton slabby back in the day. Well, I yeah, was. he's a he's certainly a spirit animal of sorts. But um, who would I like to play me? Well, it looks-wise, I've been told before that I am a poor man's Matthew McConaughey. And... Very poor, but something about the the jawline and that. Uh, so, and plus, I think he's cool. He's he's a dude. He is a dude. So I dig him. Um, two words: Daniel Radcliffe. Not really. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well played. Uh, I, That's that a walk. Is, mic drop. <laughs> that is a mic drop. Uh, I was I was actually going to go with McConaughey myself, Todd. Whoa. Um, because that, I mean, he is, he's, for, for the reason that he's like, I, I would say like Brad Pitt or Tom Cruise or um, what's the other guy that kind of looks like uh, Brad Pitt? I can't remember. But th- those guys, th- those they strike me as great actors, but they're kind of, I don't know, they kind of strike me as pretty boys too a little bit. Um, so, and McConaughey does not. So that's that's basically the reason why. How about Robert Downey Jr.? Ah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. Think that would be, think he could yes. play me or not? Yes, he could. You think so? I I don't think it would be easy for an actor to do a really convincing uh, radio presence mm-hmm. uh, that's kind of counterintuitive maybe they think it but I don't think it would be as easy as some might think which is why I think it's dead on I, I think the behind the mic charisma I mean the, just his can you imagine how different Iron Man I can't think of a single person that could pull off Iron Man like he has mm-hmm. I mean the Tony Stark the dialogue I mean, just little things like he walks in. I just saw the movie a little while ago. He walks into uh, the f- the first ship in the first Avengers movie. That man's playing Galaga. Didn't think we'd notice. I mean, he's a he's a genius with nothing like that. Mm-hmm. I, I'll give you a name because he's on my mind lately because of what we announced at the top of the show. Because we've we've already been discussing. Just you know, I don't want to throw like a bunch of names out there because they may be out of our league. I don't know, and I don't. I'm, I'm out of my element. I'm not the expert in this field. But one, I will tell you, one of the names I shared to play Lord Nefarious, Rufus Soul. Yep. Because I, I, the dude made a Nazi empathetic and likable in Man in the High Castle. That is hard to do. In fact, I think I told you guys when I watched the show, he was really the only character I, that I think they, that, was, that, was em, that was empathetic. And a lot of it was his performance. So I got to think if he can if he can make a Nazi empathetic, he could make me likable, don't you think? I think so. He's think played some awesome. good evil yeah. dudes, but he was also great. He was an amazing grace, and he was outstanding. Yes, Man, he was a good guy. Are you still watching that show? By the way, can I ask the second season? Second season starts in like two weeks, right? December sixteenth. Oh, I thought 16th. it started already. Maybe. No, I think the second season starts oh. the sixteenth, I believe. But yeah, we will watch for sure. But um, yeah, he is on my Lord Nefarious wish list. Very good. Could you see him playing Lord Nefarious? Oh. Instantly, I yes. think he would yeah. crush it. Yeah. But there's a lot of people out there that we have already discussed about who would play that role. Go ahead, Aaron. All right, question two. Should Penn State have been included in the college football playoff? You know, I'll say this. If Penn State 
had one loss. Instead of playing Pitt, their in-state rival that they hadn't played on the road, I think since, what, like 1994 or something, okay? Instead of playing them in a true road game, their in-state rival, if they had played Kent State that weekend instead and won 50-3, to as Big Ten champ, as champion of the number one league in America with four of the top eight teams in the final poll and one loss, would they be in the playoff right now instead of Washington? The answer is yes. We all know the answer is yes. yes. It's not even a debatable point, the answer is yes. It's not even a debatable point. So while I think, while I'm fine with Washington being in there because Penn State has two losses and because my eyes, as someone that's watched a lot of football, doesn't think they're that good. Okay, and, and I keep going back to the game we played against him. It was 49 to 10. Guys, we called off the dogs, which Jimmy doesn't normally do. But since it was a Big Ten game, we were merciful. Well, Steve, their linebackers were hurt. Okay, that might be why we got 49. Linebackers block on the other side of the ball? Now, that doesn't tell me why you all got only 10. Okay, I mean, you just put up 31 on Wisconsin's defense that everybody thinks is all flipping world. Or 38, it wasn't it? Because I didn't watch the game. I'm so disgusted by the Big Ten, I didn't watch a second of the championship. What was the final score, Todd? What did Penn State end up scoring? We lost by seven. I think it was 30. Do you think it was 30 31. 31? Okay. So you just got 38 on everybody thinks Wisconsin's defense is tremendous, and they are. Well, your, your linebackers being out doesn't tell me why you got 10 points against us. We played Saquon Barkley, and he wasn't injured, coming off an injury like he was this week. We played Trace McSorley. We played all the same guys on offense that you guys just had that put up 38 on Wisconsin. So... I keep going back to that game, but it, but if, if Penn State, because Penn State also beat Temple in the non-conference, who has 10 wins, that's better than anybody Washington's beaten in the non-conference. So if Penn State had played Rutgers, Idaho State, and Portland, would they be in the championship? Yeah, I guess they would, because they would have won all those games like Washington did. So, it's, so to me, having watched both teams a lot, I think Washington's better by the eye test. So I don't have a problem with them being in because of that. Like I think they might only lose to Alabama thirty-eight to seventeen, thirty-eight to twenty-eight. You know, if they catch them on a bad day, I think Penn State man for man would get manhandled. It would be it would be as bad as it was against Sparty last year, or as bad as it was against Michigan. But even though my eyes tell me Washington's better by resume, Penn State's more deserving. They won a better league. They played a much tougher non-conference. And so the so the message for, for is then if you're going to win if you're going to win a really good league, then just play a bunch of crap in the non-conference. Don't play anybody. And I I hear them complaining. Well, Wisconsin backed out of playing Washington. So so Washington gets credit for Wisconsin backing out. But but Wisconsin Wisconsin gets no credit for that the, the, they also play. They, so you you expect Wisconsin to play LSU and Washington in the same non conference and still play nine Big Ten games? That's probably why Wisconsin backed out. That's a bridge to nowhere. Nobody in America would play two non conference games like that. Oklahoma tried it this year. They played Houston and Ohio State, and look where they're at. They they boat raced everybody else in the Big Twelve and look and they're not even in the playoff conversation because of the non conference they played. So even though my eyes tell me Washington's more deserve is, is more deserving, Todd, I am concerned about the message that was sent in saying to Penn State, because you chose to play real teams in the non conference and lost one of them on the road by three points, a pit team, by the way, that won at Clemson as well. Okay, that's Clemson's only loss. We're, you're out, and because Washington played Portland in the weekend you played Pitt, they get to go in. I'm worried about the statement that makes. There needs to be, at a bare minimum, with all the analytics we do, there needs to be some bowl-eligible average non-conference score that everybody yeah. who wants to play in the championship has to meet. If you don't want to be selected or have a chance, 
don't meet the score. That's so because this, what you're describing is they need an RPI like what they have in college basketball. Some framework by which yes. we know how strong of a schedule yes. you played. And that doesn't mean we go verbatim by it, but at least it gives us a blueprint of, well, you know, yeah, you won 23 games this year in basketball, but your non-conference schedule was 240th in the nation. So, you're, yes, I, I agree with you completely. But beyond that, uh, Penn State deserved the death penalty. I've caught a, well, I don't disagree with that. I've a lot of support for this and a lot of detractors on social media, but that program absolutely should have got the death penalty, which makes everything else we talked about a moot point. I agree with Todd as well, and uh, I would say that this the whole one of the points about the playoff is that it was supposed to encourage more competition in the off or the non-conference season. So I'm with both of you. You're listening to Steve Dace. The Swamp, The Steve Day Show. Now for something completely different. We need to have a talk about an excursus on natural theology. I prefer metaphysics to theology. You see, there's no guilt in baseball. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Can we talk about something else? Certain aspects of his culture may seem absurd, perhaps even offensive. We have cut the culture crap and get to the hotel. We gotta get some buzz going. All right, back here on the Steve Day Show. This is the Nightly Buzz, where we go back and take a look at some of the headlines we missed from earlier in the evening. But uh, our producer, Aaron, after finding out what uh, you're talking about on social media, the water cooler, he thinks these are headlines worthy of buzz and are hot takes. So here they are. First story, people are leaving the Hillary-supporting states in droves. Of the 10 blue states, Hillary Clinton won by the largest percentage margins. That's California, Massachusetts, Vermont, Hawaii, Maryland, New York, Illinois, Rhode Island, New Jersey, and Connecticut. Every single one of them lost domestic migration, excluding immigration, over the last 10 years. Nearly 2.75 million more Americans left California and New York than entered those states. They're all progressive-leaning, of course, at the very best. A lot of high tax rates and high welfare benefits, heavy regulation, and a lot of those good things progressives love to tout. You know, I want to share an email from a listener that I think is a, is a fascinating observation in response to the phenomenon that Aaron just described. Mike in South Carolina sent me this note over the, week, over the weekend. He said, you ever notice that all of the Republican states with the highest rates of economic growth, low taxes, etc., are the ones in danger of Democratic takeovers? And he mentions North Carolina, Georgia, Texas, Florida, Arizona. He says, all of this economic development brings in companies which, as we have seen, are far left culturally. And therefore, they bring in the types of employees that vote against us or... Uh, liberal retirees. Plus, it gives companies blackmail opportunities like what you saw with North Carolina's HB2. I thought that is a fascinating angle. It is. Maybe something worthy of, 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 a, of, a further, of a future column at Conservative Review or future exploration. But, but that is, you know, there's trade-offs to everything, right? So on one hand, you're, you're happy to see people flee progressive economics to prove, again, Keynesianism, Marxism, uh, doesn't work because they, it's contrary to the laws of nature and nature's God. But the trade-off of that is a lot of these low-tax, low-regulation, high-growth states begin importing companies who bring a more leftist cultural uh, environment along with them, along with those jobs. 
I think there is an antidote, and I, I love the—I mean, this is what the states are supposed to be. I mean, we are supposed to be uh, voting with our feet. These states are supposed to be uh, uh, laboratories of uh, democracy. But I think if you just have a fiscal conservatism— but you, of course, you go down to Texas, and they are more socially conservative. Certainly, in terms of guns, uh, some version of church attendance. But you know, the public schools, in many respects, are still the public schools. It, the, the it needs to be comprehensive in terms of how a state. Uh, renovates itself because liberalism is tucked in every corner. That's why it's so easy for these companies to gain purchase. We 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 know that they have control of and uh, every you know Houston, Texas, Austin, Texas. This we're talking Texas. Those are liberal hotbeds. So the reform we need needs to be far more comprehensive than just the fiscal. Then I think there's an antidote to that. Yeah, and on the flip side, um, this is some of the latest data from the U.S. Census Bureau show that states, uh, North Dakota and Texas, are one and two as far as states that are growing the fastest. And North Dakota, of course, with the oil boom, and uh, Texas, what you were just talking about, uh, just is known for its conservative outlook on, on so many things. Uh, next story, North Carolina Governor Pat McCrory uh, conceded the governor's race today, declaring the way for Democrat Roy Cooper to be cl- declared the winner nearly four weeks now since Election Day. The win by Cooper, the state's outgoing attorney general, gives Democrats an important consolation prize after a disappointing election across the country. McCrory, who became the first sitting North Carolina governor to lose a re-election bid, was weighed down by a series of what some call divisive laws he signed, including House Bill 2. Well, it goes back to what we were just talking about, I think, in a way. Um, I'm, I'm, Even though I'm sure... Uh, the left wants to bill this uh, as uh, an angry reaction to that. Uh, the reality is I don't believe any other politician in North Carolina that was at the forefront of that lost their race, did they? That I know of. Not that I know Plus of. Plus you had the guy in Oregon who ran for Secretary of State, who, w- who ran the Labor Department, who was uh, the rainbow jihadist finding all of these people who didn't want to go along. He lost his race, too. This was a factor in his loss. I, but, I'm, but something tells me there's something else going on in that state's internal politics. Everybody else, is the, outco- the impact that everybody else had. I mean... For example, for those who want to say that this was, well, well, well he lost, McCrory lost because he was the only, he was at the forefront of HB2. Well, so you mean to tell me that a whole bunch of people who think cross-dressing transvestites ought to be in the men's bath, or ought to be in the women's bathroom dropping a deuce next to your little girl, right? No. Okay, I, it doesn't work that way. And I understand Trump's at best socially agnostic. But 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 if they went, my point is, if they went to the polls, Todd, to vote against McCrory because this was their hot button issue, there was someone else on the ballot who was a champion of their cause, right? So her results, Hillary Clinton's results, should if that theory is that if that theory is, is operational and workable, then Hillary Clinton's vote total should have she should have performed every bit as well as Rory Cooper did in the state of North Carolina, but alas. She did not, which tells me there's something else happening there than just this particular issue. I agree. Outlier is the uh, buzzword for me. I, I Again, I don't know the state as well, but I am thinking uh, in our state. Let's say this happened in our state and somebody like Terry Branstad was doing some sort of mealy mouth 
defense of this. And again, I, this guy had his moments, but I, I, I mean, you've said you've testified that the lieutenant governor was far more animated, vocal, authentic. I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that's my memory of you talking about he was. Yeah, Dan Forrest okay. is his name. Yeah. Um, I mean, if this guy, if no one just really believed this guy was really feeling it, then the, the people will lump in actually with the problem and not the solution. So maybe that's what happened. I mean, case in point, all of my social conservative, Christian conservative uh, friends and, and the leaders I know around the country, and I think you guys know, I'm fairly, I, I, I've got a lot of relationships in that world. The, the, the guy they brought, they thought was their champion all along was Forrest. Okay? Forrest won his race by seven points. He was on the ballot November 8th, too. He won by seven points. So if, so if this is strictly a repudiation of HB2, then Why explain to me how the guy who's the face of the legislation. The firebrand. Yeah. He wins by seven points in McCrory loss. That doesn't it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, uh, something else is uh, is going on there, as you say. Uh, quick update: uh, We talked about the NCAA football uh, last segment. Uh, here's the NFL playoff standings with four weeks left. In the AFC, Raiders are number one. Patriots are the number two seed, and uh, Broncos. It looks like actually the Texans are the fourth seed. Ravens are the um, third seed. Chiefs are the fifth seed, and the Broncos are the sixth seed. In uh, the NFC's Cowboys, Seahawks, Giants, Falcons, Lions, and Buccaneers all in the playoffs. Is there a question? Lions and Bucks. That's got uh, a question mark after I, I, it. I think you're looking at a Seattle Patriot Super Bowl. Really? Rematch from a couple of years ago. I'm going all silver. Raiders against Cowboys. I could see that happening. Networks would love that one. Just we've never had a rookie quarterback. So I'm sticking with that trend. You're listening to Steve Dace. Rules for Patriots, the Steve Day Show. Back here on the Steve Day Show, powered by Conservative Review on the Salem Radio Network. As some of you know, because I've been a proud papa bragging on the air, my uh, oldest daughter, Anna, uh, ended up beating out to 60 other talented youngsters for one of the starring roles in our local Playhouse's production of Willy Wonka. And uh, their performances debuted over the weekend. And uh, during one of the Sunday matinees, uh, her knee just gave out. And so we had to rush her to a specialist and... Of course, she's thinking of all the times for an injury to happen. I've worked so many months for this. And and did I blow out my knee? Did I tear something? Am I going to need surgery? Am I going to be out for the rest of the performance schedule? And thankfully, it's just a hyperextension, something that we don't think a few days of rest and ice, according to the specialist we took her to, Dr. Carlson. We don't think that uh, uh, it would require more than that. But, I mean, she was in tears because... Uh, this was, you know, she's uh, she's not even 16 yet, and uh, her mom and I have done as much as we possibly could to both uh, introduce her to what the real world is like, but also to protect her from it until the time comes that she has to face it as an adult. This was the first thing in her life where she faced some real adversity, something she had worked hard for, and something went wrong that had that had nothing to do with anything she had done wrong or somebody something that somebody had done wrong to her. But, you know, we were talking about it to, over, today at lunch, and I just mentioned, you know, honey, we live in a fallen world. 
Sometimes bad things happen to people that are that don't deserve for bad things to happen to them. And yes, in the grand scheme of things, this is not a life and death tragedy or uh, a natural disaster that people may face, um, or and it's not a permanent condition. But um, it's really the first time she's had to learn that you can develop character through suffering, even in this case which may seem like a minor a minor thing to, you know, a lot of you, but to a 15-year-old girl, and this is what she's been working for for months now, this was a major situation. And I, I bring this up because if there's one topic that our final guest here tonight knows a thing or two about, it is the topic of suffering, something that a lot of Americans seek to avoid at all costs because we're humans, and a lot of humans seek to avoid it at all costs. And Johnny Erickson Tata joins us to talk about the Beyond Suffering Bible. And I want you to know, Johnny, it is a pleasure and an honor, really, to have you with us tonight on the Steve Day Show. Thank you for being with us. Oh, absolutely. And Steve, I would just love to send your daughter a copy of the Johnny book. Uh, maybe you could email me her name and address. I'd love to um, jot her a note of encouragement. Uh, we will definitely have, I'll have my producer, Aaron, uh, I'll have my people get with your people, and we would be honored <laughs> to make that happen. And I know, you know, what I'm telling is a trite suburban story compared to what you faced at an age very similar to my own daughter's. But in her life, this is the first time that something she's worked hard for, it's been threatened to be taken away from her, not because of anything she's done wrong or some act of injustice, but because we live in a fallen world. And these are things that I think a lot of people... We struggle to find justice in these situations, Johnny. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, her story, your daughter's story, is really my story. It's so many people's story. I was 17 years old. I was heading off to college. And just two weeks before I uh, was ready to start my first semester, I took, some, I took a dive in the Chesapeake Bay into what ended up being very shallow water. I broke my neck. I, I became a quadriplegic. And like your daughter... It's like, oh my goodness, my life has been altered, it's been changed. And it was at first very discouraging, very depressing, and actually very despairing. But thank the Lord there were Christian friends who had good counsel, kind of like the counsel you gave your daughter, and that made all the difference. What is it about us that we seek to find ways around suffering rather than ways through it? Well, we live in America. We live in a place where everything um, is all about our comfort and our ease and our convenience. We hate suffering. We, we drug it. We try to escape it, avoid it. We divorce it. We institutionalize it. We try to surgically exorcise it. We want to do everything but actually live with it. And yet the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And in Romans chapter 5, uh, we're told that suffering um, produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope should not disappoint us. You know, I'm coming up on 50 years uh, living as a quadriplegic in my wheelchair as a result of that diving accident when I was a teenager. And not once has God been mean to me. Not once. Because this has happened that I might not rely on myself, but on God. That's a direct quote from 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9. And it's the, it's the thing that we Christians have to face about suffering. God wired this world to be difficult. 
We'll have more with Johnny Erickson Tata on the Beyond Suffering Bible in a moment. You're listening to Steve Dace. Never attack what you're not willing to kill. This is Steve Dace. By the one and only Johnny Erickson Tata here on the Steve Day Show, talking about just in time for Christmas, the Beyond Suffering Bible. How do we find meaning in suffering? To those who challenge our faith by saying, hey, why do bad things happen to good people? It doesn't make any sense. It seems pointless. It seems senseless. As someone that didn't grow up in the church, I came to faith well into my adult life, fancied myself uh, into philosophy and a bit of an intellectual, which means I really wasn't. But um, I had a lot of these various um, skepticisms and impulses within my own worldview. And, and one of the final things that got me to cross this line of faith beyond just mere repentance or wanting to be forgiven for the things I had done wrong, but where I, I really began to embrace this as a way of life is when I intellectually considered the proposition, Johnny, I have it backwards, that the reality is if the gospel story is not true, then then the world is senseless. Then it is pointless. The only worldview, and I, I've practically studied them all, and the only one that really truly answers why we are the way we are, why the world is the way it is, and what can be done about it, is the biblical one. Absolutely. And I could sum up my biblical worldview on suffering with these simple words. God permits what he hates to accomplish that which he loves. He hates spinal cord injury. He hates autism and Alzheimer's. He, he hates um, multiple sclerosis and arthritis. But he permits these things to accomplish something that he loves, and that is shaping Christ in us, the hope of glory. I mean, look at the cross real quickly, Steve. I mean, God hated the crucifixion of his own son, no doubt. It involved torture. It involved murder. It involved injustice. And we look at all these things and think, how can any of that be God's will? Uh, injustice, murder, torture, the suffering of God's own son. Yet, Acts chapter 4, verse 28 tells us that God permitted these things to accomplish something higher and better, and that was salvation for the world. God permitted the crucifixion of his own son because he loved something better, and that was our salvation. And in the same way, God permitted this accident. I know he didn't like it. He sure hates spinal cord injury and all kinds of diseases and disabilities, but he allows them, he permits them, so that we might be changed, we might be transformed. And... uh not, not only did the world's worst murder back at the cross become the world's only salvation, but this wheelchair is the prison that has set me free. Hmm. Some people may ask, why do we need a Bible with, with, with notes and articles targeting 
suffering. And here's some numbers that I think it, it, it probably point out the target audience to this. One in six Americans dealing with chronic health conditions. Ten million people a year experience some form of me- serious mental illness. Illness. One out of five people in the United States live with some form of physical disability. Eighty-two million-plus Americans suffer from disability or chronic illness. Roughly 65 million Americans are providing care for someone with disability or chronic illness. That's a lot of people that need to make sense of suffering, Johnny. Oh, absolutely. And most of those people, Steve, most of those people like me, like when I was first injured, they know that the Bible probably contains answers to their plight. They just have no idea where to look. And there's hardly a cul-de-sac in America that doesn't have somebody impacted by disability, from cancer patients to stroke survivors to the elderly to parents who've had a child diagnosed with a disability. No matter what the heartbreak, the reason that Johnny and Friends partnered with Tyndale Publishing to put together this special edition of God's Word called the Beyond Suffering Bible is that we wanted to make it accessible For people who have these tough medical conditions, people who deal with chronic pain, we wanted to have a Bible where they could open it and know that they could run right to the passages that would give them hope, encouragement, that would bolster their spirits and strengthen their faith. This Bible contains uh, articles about chronic pain, about caregiving. It contains articles about accidental pain management addiction, pain med addiction, and it contains all kinds of other resources that would be so helpful for those parents of special needs children who are struggling with the school system and sibling rivalry. This is a Bible that speaks directly to those people, and I'm very excited about it. Final question. You referenced this earlier, but of course, this is the Advent season. This is the Christmas season, and and this is when we commemorate the birth of God's Son, who came here to be our suffering servant, who came here to suffer on our behalf. And there is meaning here in that suffering. I mean, and you look at uh, what he had to endure for us at the cross, this, and, and what he had to endure for us with the unspeakable torture that you just, uh, that you just spoke about. That there, and, and that is a reminder, there's a lot more to this story than just a babe born in a manger, isn't there? Oh, yes. From the very onset of his life, Christ identifies with our weakness. Christ identifies with our suffering. And so the point is, Steve, how dare I cling to the sins that nailed my Savior to the cross? Um, In my weakness, I might be tempted to complain about my quadriplegia, but I don't dare complain. I don't dare foster anxieties or doubts against God. I don't dare defame his good character. When I think of all that he endured on my behalf, from the moment that he was born on the, in the cradle and then suffered on the cross, um, I have a Savior who's with me. He is God with me. He's Emmanuel. He gets it. He resonates with, with uh, the need to find hope in suffering. So he's a, knowing Jesus is ecstasy beyond compare, and it really is worth anything to be his friend. The Beyond Suffering Bible, it is available at uh, bookstores across the country. Johnny Erickson Tata, it has been an honor having you with us here tonight. Merry Christmas to you. God bless, and I hope a lot of people uh, grab this uh, grab this Bible. Okay, blessings on you, Steve. All right, take care.
You're listening to Steve Dace. them by their own petards the steve day show sleigh bells ring are you listening in the lane snow is glistening i'm back to wrap it up here tonight on the steve day show powered by conservative review this is when we find out what we learned here this evening so gentlemen what have we learned todd you may begin well my goodness uh i thought i was going to get into this uh show to have a lot of fun for a lot of different reasons uh but the the world that just i'm going to be hovering around by extension of knowing you in the next year pretty cool uh, yeah, i mean i remember i don't know if you recall when we talked about this and i said something when I, I read this book like four times to help you edit it, and I said, I feel like I have the script of Star Wars in my hands. And I thought that was a little overboard, yes. So my oh, point being, called <laughs> I called it. Genius. Nice. Uh, what I learned tonight, I'm going to posit something very controversial here. I learned tonight that 2016 is officially no longer the year where things can only get worse. Because I think it's more apt to say that it's the year that everybody got everything wrong. We got Donald Trump. Um, we thought he wasn't even going to be the nominee. Got Everybody got Brexit wrong. Everybody got the election wrong. And then all of our, it seems like, uh, based on the reaction on social media, nobody guessed what was coming um, this evening correctly. So I think uh, this is a pretty positive development. I think that uh, puts, in my view, puts the brake on the uh, everything can get worse in 2016 mantra. It um, it's still surreal to me. I mean, I I, I I've had, oh, and you ain't seen nothing yet. I brother. know I, I've had a grin on my face about this for about six weeks since this was first proposed to me. It is um, it's it's a one in ten million shot, really. Um, what everybody guessed me or our show moving to the blaze or crtv there's a far better chance of that happening in the future than this this is a you know this is uh han solo says to luke uh great shot that was one in a million kid right i mean that's this is this is even greater odds than that i mean i, I wouldn't because of the political work I, that uh, i've i've been permitted to do uh that uh, the doors that god has opened there um, I could make I I can I'm a few phone calls from trying to make a lot of different things happen. This would not be one of them. This is something I, I every connection I have, every resource I have, I I could not make this this one happen if I set about to do it, and I would not even set about to do it. I, I wasn't. That's something we we talked about this because you're right. You did help me edit the initial manuscripts. We never even dreamed of anything like this happening or talking about it. In fact, I throw it. I throw a reference to this into the preface as a joke, right? <laughs> not knowing that it might actually happen. So, um, it's one of those things. With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. John three seventeen. You're listening to Steve Dace.